Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 143, please. We actually left off in verse 8 or 9 of 144, so we'll just kind of cap it off and bring you up to that point. 143 verse 1, David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, in thy righteous and in thy righteousness. Here was David's earnest prayer. 143 verse 1. And there's two reasons why David expected an answer. First, because... God was faithful, and secondly, because of God's righteousness. And David knew he could count upon God to hear and answer his prayer. Verse 2 says, And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. And we said in our last lesson that David knew that he could never merit an answer. You know, we are not good enough to deserve an answer, were it not uh, for God's grace. And he says, Enter not into judgment with thy servant. For in thy sight no man shall no man living be justified. The Bible says there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. In verse 3, For the enemy hath persecuted my soul, he hath smitten my life down to the ground, he hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. David well knew the cruelty of the enemy. In fact, at that time uh, Saul had tried to take his life time and time again. In verse 4, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. David uses that word overwhelmed many times. In fact, it was in our text this morning that we preached. He says, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. He was ready to give up in despair. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with what happens, and we almost are ready to just give up, and and we have no hope left. Then he says in verse 5, I remembered the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. Now then, he remembered God's former mercies, and this gave him hope. God, what God has done for us in the past should be an incentive and an encouragement to realize that he's going to continue. You know, he wouldn't take us out in the middle of the ocean and drop us off. He's going to see us all the way through. And a lot of folks say, well, you know, the Lord's been with me. I wonder... And they wonder about today and the future. Well, how has his faithfulness been in the past? And God never changes. I'm the Lord, I change not. Well, if he's been faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful now. He's going to be faithful in the future. And so he said he remembered the days of old. By the way, it's good for us to remember God's mercies and meditate on what God has done. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. He was just... Uh, thinking about this all the time. Verse 6, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee in a thirsty land. David's thirst for God. Uh, remember Jesus said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, or they shall be filled. And you know the reason a lot of folks are so empty of the things of God, they're not hungering and thirsting after the things of God. So if you want to be filled with the things of God, You have to have a a hunger for the things of God, and especially His Word. And then it says uh, in verse uh, uh, 7, Hear me speedily, O Lord. We're like David a lot of times, aren't we? Hear me speedily. David uh, uh, was very uh, determined that God... In other words, David's plea was urgent, wasn't it? Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Sometimes we uh, feel that we would just run out of... uh, Patience, if God didn't hear us immediately. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be likened to them that go down into the pit. And then in verse 8, look at this. It says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. He was reminded of God's loving kindness. And he asked for a token of God's loving kindness. 
And David also asked for leadership. He says, cause me to hear. And then for in thee do I trust, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. That's leadership. For I lift up my soul unto thee. David prayed for deliverance in verse 9. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Uh, In verse 10, he uh, asked God for teaching. He says, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. How many people have a desire for teaching? Notice verse 8 says, cause me. Verse 9 says, deliver me. Verse 10 says, teach me. And he says, lead me into the land of, in verse 10, lead me into the land of uprightness. In verse 11, he says, quicken me, O Lord. Give me new life for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. Job says, man that is born of woman is born unto trouble. As the sparks fly upward, he said, man that is born of woman is of a few days and they are full of trouble. And so David said, uh, what about his trouble? He says, bring my soul out of trouble. Sometimes we would like to not be in the trouble in the first place, wouldn't we? But it seems to be that uh, we get just as much glory and praise and joy out of being delivered out of trouble as we would be if we never had any. If we didn't have any trouble, we wouldn't know what it would be be like to be delivered out of it. So, sometimes it's for our good. Uh, Peter says, if need be, listen, if need be, sometimes it needs to be, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes. He says, if need be, you may be in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then he says in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and, and glory, honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. So it needs to be sometimes in order to cause us to have more patience. We don't like it when it happens, but on the other hand, Deliverance out of trouble is a great blessing. Bring my soul out of trouble. Verse 12 says, And and of thy mercy cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. He says, I am thy servant. Now we need to realize that uh, we need to turn our enemies over to the Lord. And he that's exactly what David was doing. Psalm 144, and we got down to verse 9 on this, and we're just recapping some of the things we said. Verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The soldier needs strength. You and I need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God. And then the soldier needs skill. He says that teacheth uh, my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Look at verse 2. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he, he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. David speaks of God's goodness here. David's safety depended upon the Lord. He was his high tower, his deliverer, his fortress, his shield. He speaks of his faith in God, in whom I trust. And also, David's place of leadership among his own people was of the Lord, he says, who subdueth my people under me. If we have a place of leadership at all in this world, even as pastors, preachers, deacons, or whoever, it has to be that uh, uh, it has to be of the Lord that we have any leadership among people. And He says, "Who subdueth my people under me?" Uh, in verse three, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man has a place of honor. God has says He crowned him with honor and glory, and set him over the works of all of it of His hands. But yet man is vanity. Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Man is frail, fragile, and worthless. And yet God has taken knowledge of man. 
And he looked down upon man and crowned him with honor and glory and set him over everything that he created. In verse 6, he said, well, verse 5, bow, bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. We see the heavens that are at his command. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and affirm his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. And it says there's no language, no nation, no place where his voice is not heard. The voice of creation. And the elements are his weapons. Look at verse 6. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. The elements are his weapons. Look at verse 7. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the, and from the hand of strange children. The Lord can deliver us from the hand of the enemy. Now then, here's where we pick up with our lesson. In verse 9. Praise is due unto our God because he is great. It says, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery, upon a psaltery, an instrument of the ten strings, will I sing praise unto thee. And certainly we should sing praises to God. We do, and we should more often. In fact, uh, the Bible says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And it doesn't have to be a song that is written. Sometimes, uh, I don't know if you'd ever do this, but I'll be driving down the road and I'll sing my own song. And... Uh, or somewhere else, and sing words that maybe wouldn't come into uh, certain measures or uh, make up a song or a hymn in a book, but it's what you feel in your heart. And that's uh, the way we praise and, and pray as well many times. And to others it might not make a whole lot of sense, but between you and the Lord it makes perfectly good sense because you know God understands all languages, doesn't He? And He knows what we're saying when we say anything from our heart. So... Uh, and look at this next verse. It says, uh, It is he that giveth salvation unto kings. Now, we'll slow down a little bit because we haven't taught this area. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. The king's safety is in the Lord's hands. He was a king. But even the king would not be king were it not for the Lord. He would. He's permitted. It says... He setteth up kings, he removeth kings in the book of Daniel. Someone says, well, we have good kings, we have wicked kings. He sets them up too. He set up Pharaoh. He says that in thee I might show forth my power. Pharaoh, the one that arose over Egypt that knew not Joseph and was not good to Joseph and the people of God. And a new king rose up and they began to kill the male children. And Moses' life was threatened as a baby. And he was protected divinely. And we know the story. But God sometimes sets up kings, both good and bad. And there's conflict and there's problems in this world. But when the time comes and when his purpose is accomplished, he removeth kings as well. Someone says, aren't you worried about the dictators they've had like over in uh, Italy and Germany and Russia and various places and communism? Well, sure, we're concerned about it always because we're all human beings. But still, God is going to take care of that in due time. You know, it's going to work out because He is God. It says that uh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever He will. And so He can stem out all the flows of those kings and nations and people. You know, we get into this election over in Russia about uh, the ones that's uh, Yeltsin and the other one that's opposing him and 
And we have all the ideas and all the news media says, well, if he gets elected, what's going to happen to communism? What's going to happen to free enterprise and so on? And they debate this and toss it back and forth. Nothing will happen except God will take care of it in the end. When it's all said and done, it'll work out. So whoever's there, we haven't had the greatest in our nation from time to time, but God has seen us through and we're going to see, still be seen through. But listen, God's people even today need to turn back to God. We're living in a wicked nation, not a, not a godly nation. Do you hear the uh, brother this morning telling about the places where, you know, nations you wouldn't even dream that they'd permit a Bible anywhere and the schools are begging for them. And we had one of our missionaries telling us down in Brazil when he was here last time how that they had appointments up to 40 or 50 ahead of time where they could go in the schools and preach. You can't even walk through the door now and claim to be a preacher. They almost want to toss you out because, you know, the Bible can't enter there, brother. And we talk about this being a free nation. And so we've got so free and so concerned about liberties that we've lost half of them. That's what's happened. To protect ourselves from things that are wrong. And we've got so much protection that we protected completely out of reason. And it's a shame that in our country that we can't let the Gideons take the Bibles over there and give them to the graduates as they come out of school. That graduate doesn't have to take that Bible if they don't want it. They can say, no, I don't want it. I mean, it's a free choice. They're not going to say, and you've got to take this, are they? They're not going to do it that way. But the thing about it is we have, we've gotten, we've gotten things out of control as far as our liberties are concerned. And we should get back to the place that we have the right to go over to school and give out a New Testament if we want to. Uh, one of the brother Hawks knows him. Preacher graduated with me from Arlington, and he went to Tucson, built a big church, and I came here and built a little one. But anyway, I mean Tucson Baptist Temple. If you know Brother Lewis Johnson, he's out there, and I'm telling you. Anyway, to make a long story short, he started that school. He started that church in the school. I mean, and met for a long time till they got property, and there was no problem. Go there and have the facilities of the school and preach every Sunday and had uh, the Wednesday night service and whatever, the whole business, everything about the church. And that was in the 50s. I think he started about 58 and I started in 59. Or he might have started 57 because I went to Mount Pleasant for a year or two. But regardless of that, uh, it was along about the same time. And he has one of the biggest churches in the country. I don't even know. I could You can ask Brother Hawks after it's over how many he has, but it's a great big church. He has more in the choir than we have room for in the building. That's the truth. <laughs> Many more. But anyway, uh, I'm thankful for him. But what I'm saying is that we've taken away some of those freedoms. You can't do that nowadays. They won't let you in the door. In fact, they can't even have their services in the high school for graduation uh, if the preacher's going to come and give a charge or a blessing to the children and preach to them before they go out. They used to do that a few years back. We had no problem. Right over here when the high school was over here, had myself, Brother Perry, other preachers they, of various denominations. They'd invite them in and they'd read out of the book of Proverbs and charge the students as they went out. You can't do that anymore. That's sad, beloved. Amen. Uh, I hate to harp on the same string all the time, but it is sad. Let's look at this uh, next verse. Uh, it says in verse 10, it is he that giveth salvation unto kings who delivers David his servant from the hurtful sword. And he did deliver David many times. Verse 11, Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a, is a right hand of falsehood. 
The Lord can protect us from false brethren, the strange children are false brethren, <clears throat> and we need protection. Remember, Paul uh, said that he wanted to be delivered from deceitful men, and those kind of men that would uh, persecute him and the, and the churches of Thessalonians and various other churches. Then I want you to look at verse 12. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. And it says that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. Sons and daughters. Strong, vigorous, respected sons with moral high standards. That's what we need today. It says, whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. Whoso keepeth the law, that's God's word, is a wise son. That's Proverbs 28 verse 7. 1 John 2, verse 13, 14. I want to read this one for you. It would be good if you'd look at it. 1 John 2, verse 13, 14. Well, I'll begin reading with verse 12. It says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 13. 1 John 2, verse 13. I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, now that's the sons, because ye have overcome the wicked one, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. Now, verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. Strong young men. Now, listen. Why were they strong? And the Word of God abideth in you. That's why they're strong. And ye have overcome the wicked one. So, we're talking about strong, vigorous, respected Young men with high moral standards. And this strength comes from keeping God's word. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. And from this passage of scripture, I write unto you young men because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you. You get your strength from the word of God. And therefore you're able to overcome the wicked one. If you're going to overcome wickedness, you have to have the word of God and the things of God in your life. And then the young daughters. It says... That our daughters may be as cornerstones. Back in the psalm where we're studying, that's verse 12. Polished after the similitude of a palace. The young women are cornerstones with character and with purity. And the molding of our society begins with a mother's influence. And the womanhood is to be much praised. And then in verse 13, look what it says. That our garners may be full. Prosperity comes from the Lord. Affording all manner of store that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. You know, God will make you to prosper. And when He does, if we use it wrong, we forfeit God's blessings. But if we use it right, we increase God's blessings. And spiritual wealth is the true riches. But we're talking about here, He actually gives uh, the garners full and the sheep increasing by thousands. Verse 14, here we find service, the strong oxen. That our oxen may be strong to labor. You have a marginal reference. It says, about able to bear burdens or loading, loading with flesh. In other words, able to bear burdens, strong to labor. That there be no breaking in nor going, no going out, nor going out. That there be no complaining in our streets. Strong oxen. That our oxen may be strong to labor. By the way, riches come by hard work. Strong oxen. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, verse 10. Paul says, If a man does not work, neither should he eat. Well, that'd change some things today, wouldn't it? Be a lot of hungry folks around. That's God's way. He says, We'll earn our living. The sweat of your face, you'll earn your living. And the Bible teaches that work is, 
is a godly thing. And God blesses uh, the common labor. And the spiritual ox here is the pastor. He's to be a worker. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. Let me see what it says. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 it says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Listen. Do the work of an evangelist. He's speaking to young Timothy. Make full proof of thy ministry. Now, even as a pastor, he was to be evangelistic in his preaching and in his teaching. And he says, do the work. If you read that whole passage, you'll find a lot of things spoken of. Let's be, let me read a little bit more of it. It says <clears throat> in verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. That's what the preacher's to do. Be instant in season, out of season. When you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. When things are going well, when they're not going well. Uh, when it's cold weather or hot weather. And really he's talking about more the season of the spiritual things than he is the seasons of the year. But he says, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Look at that. The preaching is to reprove. The preaching is to rebuke. The preaching is to exhort. And it's to be with all long-suffering and doctrine. And it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. I believe we're almost there, don't you? But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. People turn away their ears from the truth and have turned to a lot of things other than the Word. It says, But watch thou in all things... Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Just because you hear something that sounds pretty good doesn't mean it is. Let me read another scripture for you in the book of Romans chapter 16 verse 17. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And what did Paul say? And avoid them. It says, and avoid them. Now, what does the next verse say? Verse 18 says, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ with their own belly. Now listen. And by good words and fair speeches, you say, my, it sounded good, deceive the hearts of the simple. Just because someone is very eloquent and he has good words and fair speeches, you better know what that speech is and what he's saying when that speech is going on. You better test the value of the truth of it instead of the eloquence of it or the the outward appearance of it. He says, by good words and fair speeches, what do they do? They deceive the hearts of the simple. Have you ever heard people say, my, that was a wonderful, wonderful uh, message, sermon that that preacher preached? I remember one time down in Mount Pleasant, Texas, we went to a meeting. They had a tent meeting across there and they didn't put a sign up as to who they were. They didn't identify themselves. By the way, a lot of people like that unidentified object, flying objects. It's about what it amounts to. But I don't mind putting the name Baptist anywhere I am. I'm not ashamed of Baptists. And I think a person is ought to be something else. They really should. But the uh, thing about it is, we went to this meeting, and a couple of, well, my wife went, wife and I, and the kids. And uh, we took a deacon of the church with us. There were other people went just out of curiosity to hear, see what was going on. We went over there. And when they got through, and I'll tell you what happened, they said that uh, they sang a good song. They had a real wonderful song, the 90 and 9, and they could sing it, and it was real beautiful, and it was real meaningful. That's good. And the young preacher got up to preach. There was a couple of them kind of side by side. 
I think it took two of them to do it. But anyway, they presented the message and they told how that everyone that worshipped the Lord on Sunday had taken the mark of the beast and they got it from Catholicism, Sunday worship. And when we went away, that deacon... And they preached it with such enthusiasm. And by the way, they didn't just say it that bluntly, but that's what they were indicating from the book of Revelation, the message they brought. They didn't say it that bluntly, but that's what they were teaching. When they went away, this deacon, he says, Paul, wasn't that a good sermon? I said, yeah, it was really good presented, but I said, the, the only thing is wrong with it, there wasn't a word of truth in it. I said, that's all that's wrong with it. First place, this is not the day of the mark of the beast, is it? And besides that, it didn't come from Catholicism in the first place. And furthermore, Sunday worship is the Lord's Day. And I won't go into the details of what I found out they were, but we just leave that as it may be. But on the other hand, it was very revealing to find out that some people will swallow anything. And this man had been in church for years. But it was put over in such a slick way that he swallowed it. I mean, it's okay. Now, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. See if it measures up to what God's Word teaches. And I don't mean just a statement here and there. I mean the whole thing. And if it's not scriptural, Paul said that the Bereans, the Berean Christians were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they searched the Scriptures daily. They were checking up on Paul to see if those things that Paul preached were true. And I don't mind people checking up on what I say because if it's wrong, I want to know it too. But the thing about this, you know, just because you hear something preached doesn't make it so. But it's got to be what God's Word teaches over all. And it can be put over in such a way, in that verse I read, if you want those two verses, it's Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the teaching, the Word of God, which ye have learned, and they had learned of Paul, and learned of the apostles, and he says, and avoid them, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words, by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. When people cannot recognize that which is true. And so we need to be careful, don't we? All right, where were we? Back in uh, verse 14, Psalm 144, verse 14. Look, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. No going in or no going out. No complaining in our streets. Internal strife can cause unhappiness. And by the way, that scripture we gave you, those that cause division is internal strife and it can produce uh, unhappiness. And then the results of God's blessing. Look in verse uh, uh, 15. Happy is that people that it that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. The results of God's blessings are given here. Happy is that people that it is in such a case that is named, that he's just talked about. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Look at Psalm 145 quickly. Psalm 145, if you will. This is praise to the king. David resolves here to praise his God and king forever. I will extol thee, my God, O king, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. And then in verse 2, he vowed. He says, every day will I bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Every day. David vowed to praise God daily. You and I need to have daily and fresh blessings every day and fresh praises every day. In Psalm 68 verse 19, it says, His praise uh, would rise to blessing for depending and sweetening 
And if you'll study that psalm, it'll show that it will rise to a blessing. Psalm 68, verse 19. And then verse uh, 3 says, look at this. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. David's king was a great king. God is a great king. And His greatness is unsearchable. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. First Chronicles 16, verse 25. Verse 4 teaches us of His mighty acts. It says, One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. Of old they did that. Remember, Israel came out with all the mighty acts and things that God had done for them. Now, many times they forget God and did not give Him those praises that were due. And now we have people today that we thank God for His mighty acts. When we look back to what Jesus has done for us, we can certainly be thankful for that one great act of coming down, well, one in a whole of series of things, but coming down from heaven, living a sinless life, and dying on the cross of Calvary and coming forth from the grave in order to save us. The whole process and whole uh, scope of salvation provided by the virgin birth and the sinless life and the sacrificial atoning death and His resurrection has provided for us salvation. Mighty acts. And it says, shall declare thy mighty acts. One generation to another. Verse 5, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. We think of God's wondrous works that he has done. In verse uh, 6, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. The terrible acts, divine judgments that come. You know, sometimes we speak of the mighty acts and the good things that come to us, but the terrible acts, I will declare thy greatness. Paul said in the New Testament, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So God is not only a God of love and mercy and grace, but He is a God of judgment. As we closed our message this morning, Whosoever shall fall upon this stone shall be broken, broken hearted and receive Christ by faith. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it, shall, it will grind them to powder. And so God has uh, both the side of love and the side of judging sin, and He's going to judge there's a scripture that says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart, listen, heart singular, the heart of the sons, sons plural, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What does it say? Think of that a moment. Because God doesn't judge immediately, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So what does it mean? It means that a lot of people say, because God has not already done something about my life and judged this or that and the other, that He's not ever going to. That's not necessarily so. He has all the time there is. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you ever heard people say, well, you know, if this is wrong, God will strike me dead? Brother, I don't want to say that any time. I've heard him say that because it might be wrong and he just didn't strike you dead then and later on is coming. The judgment. See, you know, he's no. The Bible says that judgment is God's strange work. It's his strange work. And he does not have to judge immediately to. It says God has appointed a day. It's um, Acts 17, verse 31. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Listen, by that man whom he hath ordained. 
Now, how do we know it's going to be true? Whereof he has given assurance unto all men that there's a day of judgment, in that he has raised him from the dead. Christ's resurrection is God's guarantee that he will not only save those that belong to, to the Lord, but he's going to judge those that reject. So, his divine judgments, his terrible acts. Look at verse uh, 7. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. God's goodness was a matter of praise, and his righteousness a matter of praise. Look at verse 8. The king's mercy is evident to all men. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. There are psalms and statements time and time again that speak of God's mercy. In verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. He's good to all men, even to His enemies. God is long-suffering with all. We talk about His tender mercies here. It says His tender mercies are over all His works. We remember David. David sinned terribly in the sight of God. He committed adultery. He He was guilty of murder. Committed adultery with Bathsheba. He sent... Uriah to the forefront of the battle and had him killed. He was guilty of trying to make him drunk and he wouldn't get drunk. So that David was trying to cover his sin. The Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. He wanted Uriah to go down to his house so that the baby that would be born of Bathsheba, uh, she would, that uh, everyone else would think it belonged to uh, Uriah instead of himself and Bathsheba in the act of adultery. And God's Word said, The sword shall never depart from thy house. The prophet came and told him that. And it didn't. But on the other hand, when David repented of his sin, you read it in Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of what kind of mercies? Thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. He said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. He said in another place in that same psalm, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He repented of his sin. He said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted in thee. David knew that if he was restored, and this repentance uh, that he was showing toward God, and that he was restored into perfect fellowship with God, that only then would he be a testimony to anyone else. And by the way, let me say this. If we're out of fellowship with God, our testimony will amount to very little before others. It doesn't make any difference how loud you cry and how hard you preach. If God, if there's disfellowship between our soul and God, people are not listening because they want you and I, and uh, we should be as Christians, and when you witness, you better be, or your word is like sounding brass and, or a tinkling cymbal. And so we have to live what we preach as well. As, as uh, uh, then it says, then shall I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted into thee. If you'll look at the next verse, verse 10, and we'll try to hurry and then close in just a moment. It says in verse 10, All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. God's works would praise him, and the saints would bless him. The saints are a part of his works. His works are without and His works are within. The Bible teaches us that He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And we find that uh, it says, uh, They shall speak, verse 11, of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. Saints speak of glory and they speak of power. God's kingdom is glorious. God's power and talk of thy power. 
We sing a song. There's power in the blood. We think of the power of God to change men's lives. Let me just ask you a question. Where would you be today if it were not for God's power in your life to change you and make you what you are instead of what you would have been? His great transforming power, according to His power which He wrought in us, where would you be today? You look at, you see some fellow going down the street staggering and falling over in the gutter and having all uh, just a, a demeaning life, not having any life at all really. Poverty stricken because of spending it all on liquor and other things. And you could look at that person and if it were not for God's grace, that would be you. would be any one of us. I look back on my own life and I think, what would I be if God hadn't have done something years ago to set me on the right track. If He hadn't saved me and called me to preach and, and caused me to desire the things of God and the ways of God and the Word of God, where would I be today? And I didn't have an outlandish experience like some preachers. I used to think that that uh, I've heard so many of these and you probably heard them too. I heard uh, Dr. Cecil Simmons, a good guy, wonderful guy, but he was a converted alcoholic from down in Florida. Some of you may have known him, Cecil Simmons. Anyway, he used to come and he'd pound that pulpit and he'd preach and says, I was down there in the gutters of sin and I was drinking and I was on skid row and this and that and the other and God lifted me up and saved me and brought me here. Well, that's great that God worked such a miracle. But I used to think, well, you know, I don't have a testimony like that. I wasn't there. I never drank a drop of beer or whiskey or liquor in my life. I don't even know what it tastes like. And I'm not desirous to know. God took it away from me and I says, you can, you can have the rest of it. If there's some good taste in there, let the others enjoy it. I don't need to enjoy it. I found something else I can taste better. But anyway, to make a long story short, I thought you had to have that kind of conversion to be called to preach. I thought, well, I can't preach because I'm not that kind of a guy. But I found out God told me, called me to preach anyway, in spite of it. And he laid it on my heart and he said, preach the word. And I said, I'll do that. And so uh, God has a purpose in our lives and, and everyone doesn't come in the same direction. Every conversion is not the same and every life is not the same. There's no set way that this person's experiences one way or the other have to measure up to the next ones. It's the Lord that does it all for any one of us. Uh, so it's, we speak of His glory and His power. And then His everlasting kingdom. Look at verse 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. And His kingdom is everlasting, isn't it? And we have a part in that kingdom that is to come. In verse 14, The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. He upholds the fallen. He has pity for the fallen. And that those that are bowed down, He lifts up. Remember the woman that was bowed down 18 years? You find, and the Lord lifted her up, didn't He? And then it says, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. He provides for all that look to Him. The eyes of all wait upon thee. He giveth them meat in due season. When you're waiting upon God for your provision, in due season all that provision will come. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, but needs, shall be added unto you. Sometimes we seek the other things first. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. By the way, you know, the Lord knows how to take care of our daily needs. In the model prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Even before it says, and forgive us of our trespasses. Did you know God's going to take care of it? He says, give us day by day our daily bread. And then he says, and forgive our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, put it this way. 
Forgive us of our trespasses. And if we still do not have trespasses, we won't get the daily bread. No, the Lord didn't make that model prayer that way. Because He knew that we needed that daily bread and He's going to provide it anyway. And then He says, to be right with Him, we pray forgive us of our trespasses. That we may also, uh, that God will forgive us of our trespasses as well.